Now, we've seen the oil price um, move higher over the last two weeks. Um, first started moving higher um, after, on the 28th of September, OPEC agreed to curb their production by 700,000 barrels per day. But, of course, we've seen these sort of um, agreements within OPEC in the past, and not much really transpired in terms of actual cuts in production. But this time around, we had um, Vladimir Putin, the Russian Prime Minister, yesterday, to, sorry, Russian President, speak at and at an oil conference yesterday where he um, said that Russia would support OPEC this time around in terms of that oil freeze and that he hopes that this decision can be ratified by OPEC at the next meeting in November. Now, we still need to see, again, you know, will this really transpire into, into more broad-based support beyond OPEC for cuts and, and curbs in production? We know that ever since Iran came back online, um, they certainly have not been keen to participate in any of the sort of production. And, and the Saudis, the Saudi Arabian um, producers are the other major factor that needs to be taken into consideration. But I think before we get too either concerned or excited, whichever way of the, of the equation you're on, um, about the rise in the oil price, I think we must also just remember that this is seasonally a time where oil prices normally rise because of hurricane season in, um, in the U.S. And of course we saw the massive damage that Hurricane Matthew caused last week. And, and I don't think that we can underestimate the impact that hurricane season has on, on the rise in oil prices as well. So before we, we get too excited about where, where oil is heading, let's wait and see for November um, and, and, and see whether this potential um, production freeze by OPEC really does actually translate into actual production curbs. And then, of course, uh, last week, Narina, the Chinese markets were closed for the entire week for the so-called Golden Week holiday. Uh, but they came back yesterday and all eyes were on the yuan. Tell us what happened. Yeah, so, you know, I think um, anybody who gets a, a week of public holidays would call it a golden week, I'm guessing. Um, but yes, you know, during the week while the Chinese markets were closed, you, you obviously have currency markets that trade globally still continue, and the, and the difference between the onshore yuan or the offshore yuan, in other words, what it trades for in, in terms of the domestic market versus an international market, that gap opened up. So what we saw yesterday was in part catch up by the central bank in terms of that. You know, they've really been trying to manage and massage this depreciation in the currency um, to, to, to make sure that that depreciation doesn't happen too quickly certainly to support their exporters and, and their economy, they would like to see the yuan being weaker relative to especially the dollar, but at the same time, if they allow that to weaken too quickly, they can see, they can risk um, capital outflows out of the country. So um, the fact that they've now weakened it to a level um, which we haven't seen for the last six years certainly indicates that that Chinese central bank is, is still on the path of allowing the currency to depreciate, but at the same time, part of that management process for them is also to make sure that they focus not just on the yuan US dollar exchange rate but very much on a trade weighted basket of currencies and you might recall that um, China was one of the first to actually started um, asking for the denomination of commodity prices so that would be oil as well as base metal prices and even precious metals um, prices not to be denominated just in dollar terms but rather to be referenced to the so called SDR which is the special drawing rights, which is really a currency neutral measure used by the World Bank
Bank and the IMF to express the value of reserves that com- countries have with the World Bank. So um, China was also included, or the yuan was included in that basket of currencies um, just recently, and they are clearly aware of the fact that they're playing a much bigger role within the global currency markets and are trying to be both responsible in terms of their role there, but also make sure that it actually plays to their particular agenda. And then, Narina, speaking of currencies, the British pound. Now, they've been on the back foot uh, since the Brexit vote in June, but on Friday they really spooked the market there with a flash crash of more than 6% all within a matter of minutes. Uh, Now, was this mostly fat finger trouble or is it, uh, you know, the timeline and outlook for Britain leaving the EU becoming clearer at this stage? To some extent, yes, that timeline is getting a little bit clearer. And, and, and yes, although that sort of flash crash um, could be blamed either on fat finger trouble or, or, or some, some glitch in a computer system or whatever, you usually find that that sort of flash crash um, shortly after the market recovers to, to the more normal level. I think what was interesting about what happened on Friday is that there clearly is a almost an expectation or a belief by traders that that much lower level is actually feasible. So when it first fell, it wasn't a case of, oh, you know, this is just a flash crash. The idea was that maybe the currency has actually weakened by that much. And I think that's that's a concerning um, sort of sign that is coming out. Yes, we do have a bit more certainty in terms of the timeline for Brexit. Theresa May has said that, um, you know, she certainly expects things to to, to be moved much further along by March next year. She's getting some pushback from from the other parties, um, but uh, because this still needs to be a approved by Parliament in in Britain, but she's very clear on the fact that this is what the the voting public wanted, this is what the referendum outcome was, and and that they will continue on this path. From the European side, they've also taken a pretty hard line and said, you know what, if you don't want to be in the EU, then best you get out sooner rather than later. And we've seen already that the pound relative to the euro has started to trade at parity or just below it um, um, over the last day or two. So certainly big moves still happening in terms of the pound in particular, um, but on the, on the positive side, it certainly has helped the, the, the um, British stock market. The FTSE 100 has increased by more than 13% over this time, so certainly not all bad. Of course, if you're an investor like a South African, the, the benefit that you get from the rising pound or the rising UK market has been offset by, the, by the, the fall in the pound, but it's certainly been very good for British investors who have been invested in that market and and continue to get the benefit from that weaker pound.